Hi everyone, welcome back to Socially Distant Tea Time. I'm Caitlin Magreus, and here I'm joined with Laura Otten and Evelyn Page, both uh, licensed clinical social workers, got it, and maternal mental health specialists. And both of them have their services listed on Be Her Village, so you'll be able to add their amazing services to your gift registry once we're up and running. Our socially distant tea time started out of a necessity for people who are stuck in their homes, including, and, us. <laughs> including us. It basically, if you really want to know the story, it was that I was like, oh, how do I deal with all this? Let me reach out to my favorite therapist and we'll have a little segment where Caitlin freaks out and the therapists talk her down. So it's a little bit like live therapy, a little bit of fun, and it's been going on for quite a few weeks now. So yeah. I have no idea what week we're up to, but what's going on? What are you guys seeing? How are your lives? What's the mood? <laughs> or do you want me to start? <laughs> I mean, don't we, I, I, the theme is so clear this week, at least for me and the people I'm working with, it's just like, everything's opening up. I can no longer like, okay, this is the mandate. I'm staying in no contact. Now it's, there are guidelines, but everyone knows people who are on the full spectrum, like people who haven't changed at all and are still very strict and isolated. And then people who are like, mm, done over this play dates, beach, socialization, no masks, everything's fine. And the moms I'm working with and the pregnant women I'm working with and myself, we're trying to navigate where's the in-between and how do I lessen my anxiety about this? We're scared of screwing up. I think that's, that's very similar for me. Um, and yeah, just kind of navigating like what I'm comfortable with. And, and I will completely say like, we are still very much isolated. Um, haven't really seen anybody. We had a very, very distant gathering, sort of like physically distant gathering this past weekend. But I know I was still very anxious about it. So right now for us like as much as I want to go out and be out and kind of get back to like normal whatever that means now um I still feel a lot of um anxiety like when we go out so right now for our family we're we're okay with kind of staying still in kind of our our bubble we're kind of um and and there's a lot of factors that go into that for us like you know we have parents that have lot of health issues so we don't want to be exposed too much but um but I think it's hard now especially with the weather being nicer and trying to figure out what does that look like for you and your family you know what's okay what's not okay and like what's your level of risk I think we've kind of said that in other and like other weeks too you know what what and what's okay for me and you know what is somebody else doing and am I okay with that and all those like hard conversations that are starting to happen or not happen and we keep avoiding them because we don't want to like hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> or that. Um, so last week, it's one of the, this is how life goes for me, right? So last week, um, Laura said, you know, somebody will, will say something and you'll be uncomfortable with it. And I said, there's no way I'm uncomfortable with everything. Let's open, you know, and not that we should open, but I've just been of the people in my life. I think I've been, we already had coronavirus in our house and I look at the numbers and Nassau County has almost no cases. It's just, I'm, a, I'm very pragmatic about it in some ways. Um, and then my husband started trying to make plans with 
friends from Queens and family members that live in Queens. Oh, hello. Parents right there. So <laughs> I love it. I love the, I was like, oh, Laura, she's <laughs> uh, That, um, yeah, my husband had to go into work today. So I've also got a sleeping toddler that <laughs> could, you know, set off anytime. But yeah, she made an entrance during an intake yesterday, completely naked. So that's, um, that's fun to <laughs> meet someone and here's my, my naked four-year-old. But it was a good discussion of like, I'm a mom, I'm a real person and here mm -hmm. is my life too. And I could hear my toddler tantruming downstairs and yeah. It's and Laura, I would imagine, I mean, I know that there's like, cause I have it, that urge to like be professional all the time. I mean, my kids are like at the park with my husband and if I like spanned my house and like the mess, <laughs> literally, I don't know, that part's not that messy, but like it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And so that's why I sit in front of the fireplace because it's it's hard to mess up the fireplace. But I would imagine that like your children and your being a working mom and your experience as a mother is exactly why people are hiring you. And mm -hmm. well, because you are living, you're living it. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, this is a little bit of a segue, but, um, yeah, and I think, you know, and Evelyn feels the same way. Like, we couldn't do this work without having been being moms ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and it's definitely, it's helped me be a better mom. And I do practice what I preach. I do so many of the things. I talk to my moms and teach my moms what to do. Um, but that doesn't mean, A, like, your kids are going tantrum. You're going to fight with your partner, have disagreements. You're going to have bad days, no matter how perfectly you implement these evidence-based practices. Um, so it'll make everything better, but life is still life. And so I also get how hard it is and things don't go to plan and stuff like that. So yes, relatable. I am a very good Sorry, I interrupted you. But uh, oh, Evelyn, you agree? No, I totally agree. I think there's something really, I think there's, I mean, people come to therapy and there's all these, and this is kind of my, my perspective as a therapist, but you know, I know we're kind of taught to like have these boundaries and, you know, we don't talk about ourselves. Like it's, it's focused on the client, which it should be. But I think we also have to realize like, like we're all human. We're all like people. And yeah, I think as a mom, like looking for a therapist, you want somebody that you can relate to. So on some level, you know, I, I do share with my clients that I, that I have small kids at home and particularly now during quarantine, they, they, might hear something in the background or you know, have a little visitor come in um it, but it is kind of real life and i think that kind of normalizes because exactly like you said laura we we try to practice all of these things that we talk to clients about but it doesn't mean that our lives are perfect or run smoothly or you know my you know my toddler had a t my four-year-old had a tantrum just the other weekend it was like one of those like epic meltdowns that I was like I don't even know who this kid is anymore and then you just deal with it and you keep going because that's that is kind of what our lives are like are, are for yeah it's really hard though I think there is this feeling I think it probably existed beforehand but I don't know I wasn't a mother without social media but there's definitely this like image of the perfect mother and mm -hmm. and a lot of comparison and um a lot of judgment and I was somebody who judged a whole lot especially before I became a mom I like definitely knew exactly how to be a mom and I would judge moms and then I got hit with like the truck that was motherhood and I was like 
Oh, oh okay. Oh, okay. A little more empathy. Um, you're a perfect mom until you become a mom. <laughs> and then you're just like, okay, this is, this is really, really, really hard. And I think in my doula work, I saw that, but also in my own journey, it's, it's really hard. And I don't say that to scare people, but it's just so hard. And so every mother that I know anyway, is just literally doing the best that they can. And the best that they can looks different for everybody. For some people that looks like a lot of screen time so that they can take care of themselves or they can work and pay the bills. And for other people that looks like super gentle parenting and organic foods and, you know, some sort of perfection, but nobody is perfect at all. And I think it's, it's really something we need to talk about more because there, we, you know, you only get, you get other people's best version of themselves and then you experience all the different layers and, and things that are going on for yourself and in your own family. And you no, know, there's, there's quite a mismatch there. And so I think the more honest conversations we can have and the more, you know, we're recording a show and kids come in and it's not the end of the world. And I think in some ways quarantine has been good for that because working mothers everywhere don't have to pretend anymore because we don't have childcare. Yeah. But you know what? A lot of us didn't have childcare before quarantine. We just had mm -hmm. this like, please go eat Cheerios in the corner and please be quiet for a half hour so I can pretend to be a professional. But you know what? I can be a professional and have kids in the same mm -hmm. room. And sometimes my daughter sits on my lap during my Zoom calls because it's just, we're all parents and we're all, and I think I'm hoping, I don't know, because I think we're all in the same field of like maternity and parenthood and helping new moms, but I'm hoping that that's also the case for women in working in roles where they're not working with other moms, but they're just, everybody's home with children and this is kind of the new normal for a little while. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I'm hoping as it comes to the forefront and it's recognized, especially for fathers who it's, they can they can become a father and work may never even have to know about it right it can really be hidden in secret and um, for partners and for fathers to speak up and say no I can't because we don't have childcare and mm -hmm. so I have to watch the kids during that time or the kids going join me on Zoom and making it more visible um, because it's unrealistic what we have right now and we with the, so many segments could be spent talking and have been spent talking about the lack of um, paid family leave and lack of support for um, that invisible childcare, invisible elder care that often lands on women. Um, and that plays into the pandemic right now. So like Evelyn, you mentioned like you all staying very isolated, um, but the, the day that your husband has to go into work and you have clients, mm -hmm. so and working with the women I'm working with, it's it's going to look different for each person because we're all in these different situations and we have to consider what's the risk of the isolation where are the negative of the isolation and Evelyn you could list them all out you know mental health and emotional health mm -hmm. um, Evelyn tell us all the things that are going on for you right now well, please tell us how hard it <laughs> all is your for problems. you um, <laughs> know it's, it's hard like I said like I'm like desperate to go see my friends and family I just know right now I, I know part of it's me and the anxiety of going out and what if somebody gets sick um, part of it's like I don't want to expose myself and then potentially get somebody else, you know, close family member sick or, you know, immune compromised essentially. Um, but yeah, it does take its toll. I think it, like we were talking about earlier, you know, there's 
you know, you get on each other's nerves, like, you know, your partner's nerves, like kids, like the, the, the kids are bored, like they're kind of tired of seeing the same space. And like, we're lucky that we actually live on a pretty decent sized property um, in the woods and they can run around, but it's kind of like, how many times do you run around the same trees, you know, and, you know, kind of dig in the same holes? Like it's, it's tiring. Um, so I think they're feeling it. Um, you know, we've kind of fallen into that routine. Like we eat like the same things over and over again. And, and I love to cook. That is something that I do as like self-care and I make, you know, all kinds of recipes. And I have found myself doing that less and less, you know, and I think I've done other things that are helpful for me, but um, cooking is one of the things that it's kind of dropped off for me, you know, kind of not had that like inspiration, but you know, and because I like to cook for people too. So obviously if I don't have people coming over, you know, I'm not going to make, you know, food for 50 people if it's just the four of us, you yeah. know? So, um, yeah, so it's, there, there is a sort of a cost to the isolation piece as well, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, I mean, my husband will have to go into work eventually. And then we we're kind of, coming up with our contingency plans as far as what we do with childcare because I don't want to stop working. Um, but I think it's, it, it does, it highlights kind of, you know, all the things we're kind of lacking in our country and our society. Cause I mean, my husband is, is definitely like sort of championing that at his job too. Just, you know, he has staff that have kids and they can't just, you know, tell one parent to come into work because the other parent is usually working. Most most parents, both parents are working. So who watches the kids if you're not ready or if you don't have access to send them to daycare or summer camp or whatever right now? So it's a problem, you know, it's, and it, it's a problem that often falls on the woman or the wife. That's what I want to know, Evelyn, is that my uh, sister-in-law, oh, why am I sounding so abrasive <laughs> more than you <usual. laughs> um you know she texted me and she said I'm really stressed out about what the fall is going to look like and I'm like a little bit stressed out about it because my husband's a teacher so I I wonder what that will look like but my job is infinitely flexible and I won't have to give it up in order to to make whatever the situation is work but in two parent working households the vast majority of them the woman is the one that's going to have to flex or take on more of the burden or give something up the vast majority definitely mm -hmm. there are women who are the breadwinners but it's just the truth that because mm -hmm. of the lack of maternity leave and the choices women are, are leaving i mean before the pandemic women were leaving the workforce at much higher rates than men. When my um, sister-in-law got pregnant with her second, my brother got congratulated for having another baby and her boss, she's in this high, she was in this high powered finance position and her boss said, how are you gonna handle that? That was the, the response. A female boss said that to her and it's like, and she was crushed and angry and frustrated and, it, and I, was crushed and angry and frustrated for her because it's like the burden just falls on women and so now that we have the pandemic and all of these um new pressures on us it's going to fall on women and and there's no you know there's no easy let's talk about it for 15 minutes and we'll find a solution or like there's no easy answer it's huge systemic structural 
changes that have to happen where we have to recognize the value of women's work and wisdom and time and contributions and we need to value that type of work and i mean this is the this is the thing that gets me through watching the news and seeing the peaceful protesters getting mowed down and and all of the violence against people it's like the thing that gets me through watching that is maybe there will be real change, maybe. And it's starting to happen, right? Like people are reimagining mm -hmm. what policing looks like. People are reimagining what budgets look like. People are reimagining um, waking up to racism and, and change that needs to happen. And I'm hoping that the there will be more change in not just that arena. And I'm not trying to, oh my goodness, I'm not trying to like, oh, that's happening. Look at us over here too. But I'm just, I'm really hoping that, hoping that this, time this really 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 difficult time as a country and as a world and as a civilization as a human race we will just wake up and 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 make significant changes and it's i recognize how hopeful that really is and maybe not based in evidence and based in reality but there's so much pain out there right now and there's so much stress and mm -hmm. and i really hope that this can be like a spark to really make some real changes in in mm -hmm lots of different areas. I think it's hope that kind of that does carry us through a lot. You know, there's there is so much going on in the world right now. And I do think that um, you know, hearing hearing everything on the news with Black Lives Matter and the movement going forward, I think there is there is a lot of space for people to be thinking about, you know, not just, you know, the institutionalized racism that exists in this country, but all the other things that are wrong with with the system, like all the things that you know we could improve, that we can change. I think people are a lot more hopeful, and I think people are. And it might be because people have more time on their hands because they're at home and they're not. Not everybody's going out to work, um, but pe there's energy there, and I think hope is is kind of carrying a lot of people through. I think it's important to have hope. Mm -hmm. um, also why I named my the daughter I lost hope because I always I'm always gonna have her. You always have to have hope even in really, really difficult times. Mm -hmm. I think part of it for me um, is the idea that oh I don't like that feedback. That's awful. Is the idea that um, that you in order to recognize the movement and the black lives matter and all the things that they're saying and the things that have existed forever but now we're as at least as a white woman i'm waking up to now i think if you start to recognize the issues which is literally step one just acknowledging that it exists and like depending on who i'm talking to like we're talking mm -hmm. about like structural changes and budgets and other people it's like no 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 like racism is still a thing we need to talk mm -hmm. about it um but once you start waking up to that and i'm still very much in the process of doing that um you have to realize that there's a system that supported that like it's not one-off mm -hmm. things and there's and like what system benefited and when you start seeing it's not just about race it's about class it's about finance it's about capital it's about misogyny it's like all of those things are connected and so i guess my hope and hope is important is just that there's they're all pieces of the same puzzle and so if if there's this uprising and this and this awakening with especially with the younger generation <laughs> they're they're really my hope not so much my peers at this point um 
that they'll they'll wake up to all of it and they'll reimagine what the world should look like and and it feels like that it feels hopeful it feels like they're talking about starting from scratch and and rebuilding and just to like turn this back to parenthood i think that concept of like starting from scratch and rebuilding is what is both amazing and powerful and exciting about being a mom and being Mm -hmm. somebody's whole world and also what is anxiety inducing Mm -hmm. and so much pressure on me because I look at these kids and I'm like so happy so happy sorry for cursing that I get a chance to make this world better that I get to shape these little minds that I get to to help them be better people and I help you know not better people but better people than I am you know but at the same time I'm not perfect and I am struggling with my own issues and my own patterns and my own behaviors I'm still trying to change and are not even trying to change like some of those patterns and behaviors are just being discovered <laughs> like on a personal level I'm just waking up to my own dysfunction right now and and I've like already imprinted that dysfunction onto an eight-year-old and a six-year-old I'm like Oh, that's an incredible amount of pressure to like form these little people, you know? Remember to like, yes. Okay. So change starts with awareness. We do that in therapy. Like you you can't change a thought or behavior or feeling without becoming aware of it first. So we're in that awareness stage right now and moving towards change. Um, But as far as being a parent, if we're never upset, if we're never sad, if we're never mad, if we never have quirks or issues or problems, then how do we model to our kids how to have those feelings and how to manage those problems and how to learn from them? Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful opportunity that when we lose our temper or we're weird about something or something goes off or whatever it is, um, exploring that and growing from it to model how to do that with our kids rather than being this weird Stepford mom of perfection doesn't teach anything Mm -hmm. and doesn't allow the child to have his or her his or her own range of emotions and problems and issues and so I'll say that to parents like it if you had the perfect life and the perfect child who never threw a tantrum like something would be wrong like Mm -hmm. that's dysfunctional your child needs to tantrum in order to learn unconditional love and to learn how to manage emotions it's healthy can we give ourselves the same kindness of i'm allowed to have this i'm allowed to have issues i'm allowed to have a range of emotions and then in turn too i'm a i need and deserve support and love and growth behind it yeah. So good for you, Caitlin, to have issues and not be able to feel good anymore. <laughs> but what a chance to grow. You know, if you're not uncomfortable, then you're probably not growing. Like uh, all, again, with therapy, um, if every session my client feels like they're not being challenged and they're just sailing through and chit-chatting, I'm not doing my job. She, yeah. she or he needs to feel uncomfortable, needs to be challenged, needs to be pushed. Um, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. So same thing with therapy. Yep. Same mm-hmm. thing with parenthood, motherhood, mm-hmm. or whatever your journey is. Um, and I know we only have a few minutes left. I wanted to touch on your story about C-sections um, okay. this past week, Caitlin. So yeah. I'm going to change topic abruptly. Yeah, um, no, but I was thinking of you because you, you, you shared about having a C-section and then a VBAC. I attended um, a talk last night through the nesting place on C-sections and scar tissues mm-hmm. and was just reminded again, because uh, it's not the first time, but I definitely learned a lot of um, 
what a huge surgery C-sections are and the trauma behind it. And we're talking here about moms and, and kind of the um, punishment of becoming a mom. And one of them when you get a C-section is, you know, no physical therapy. I'd argue and I think I would hear a lot of agreement that you don't even get rest, right? Like there's no rest. Um, and in, in the worst cases, you're doing everything yourself. Hopefully you have some help, but you're not getting the rest that you would need after a major surgery. Um, so talk about unseen, untalked about, unsupported. And so I'm so glad you shared your story about that some. And um, I know I learned a lot from that too. Yeah, so I shared it because my anniversary of my VBAC was, which is my son's birthday, was two days ago. And, you know, every year it's like, it might as well be, I gave birth the day before. It all comes flooding back. Um, but what came flooding back this year was the C-section. Like it's, which is now that anniversary is in a couple of weeks. And it's like, talk about, I had, part of what was really special is I posted a few things. I haven't been very active on Instagram and Facebook, but I, posted some stuff and I shared a little bit about my experience and C-section moms that I don't know were reaching out to me. I ended up on the phone with them. I ended up messaging with them and, and just sharing my story and they were so validated. And so mm -hmm. it was like talking to myself seven years ago or eight years ago. It was like, it was kind of an incredible thing. And my C-section and that, that jarring, talk about like a jarring entrance into motherhood. I, I didn't, plan on having a c-section i didn't plan on breastfeeding being really hard i didn't plan on being in the hospital on night two by myself husbands weren't allowed my mother was exhausted i sent her home not able to get up out of the bed to get my baby because i was in so much pain not able to breastfeed there was no paternity leave my husband couldn't take a day off work i mean it was like it was awful and my first year as a parent was really hard and i didn't I didn't know how hard it was. I just like, I don't even think I took a breath until I had my second that I was like, oh, this is so much easier. I was so scared going into my second's birth because of how hard the first one was. I was so scared, not of the birth, but of the aftermath. I was afraid of that first month of life where I was just drowning. Um, but that's, that's what drove my doula work. That's what made me become a doula because nobody should have to go through what I went through. And, and I say that not trying to be dramatic, but like everybody goes through, it's not like I went through a big, like an unusual thing. <laughs> I went through a trauma and I went through a really difficult and very unnecessary thing. And I was put through the system and I was educated and outspoken and hired midwives and took hypno babies. And I did what I should have, should have done, but I still got totally like hit by the truck that is the American medical system. And, and I, and I have met hundreds of mothers that have had the exact same experience as me. And that is awful and preventable and infuriating because it's not for me and for all of them, it's not about how the baby comes out. I could have had a beautiful, and I have supported beautiful cesareans where they're shaking hands with their doctor and going over their list and taking pictures in the OR and, and supported by their doula and their partner and doing skin to skin. And, and it's all like in their power and in their control. And the way that women birth these days and their entrance into motherhood, it matters. And it matters because that day 
matters. And then that day has implications for every single day after that for the rest of your life. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't have any like beautiful ending to this. <laughs> it's just like, it's literally the thing that fuels my work. It's the reason I created Be Her Village because I could only reach 30 to 50 women a year, you know, doing doula work. And I loved doula work, but it's not enough. 50 women a year is not enough. I need to reach more and I need to connect women with doulas and it needs to become the standard that people are sitting in a room with both of you and that people are getting childbirth education beforehand and that people have somebody taking care of them. And, and somebody just has to think about the mothers because, because I was not thought of. And it wasn't because the people in my life didn't love me. It wasn't because I didn't prepare the right way. It's because the system is not set up for it. We don't, we, we, I got, this is like the most ridiculous thing, but at my baby shower and I'm not ungrateful. I got a thing. This is the thing that sticks out for me. Um, I got a thing that's like a blow up little poofy thing that goes over the, the nozzle. If you're taking a bath, like in a bathtub, like the nozzle sticks out. A poofy blow up. It's like a little life raft for that <laughs> nozzle. Uh -huh. so I have a whale. Yeah, have a whale. so that the baby doesn't hit their head on that. I got that as a baby shower gift. Really grateful. <laughs> really grateful for like the love and that someone thought of me and someone came and somebody bought me a gift. But I really could have used actual support and <laughs> not a blow up thing. Like some thing that probably cost $20 and probably cost 50 cents to make in China. And somebody bought me like with love. And thank God, it's like many years ago. Nobody knows. <laughs> probably somebody's watching this going, oh, I bought her that. <laughs> but like, that's not what moms need. But, yeah. You know, it's, we need people that are professionals and people, and people who are not professionals loving us and supporting us. So yeah, my, uh, my VBAC anniversary definitely stirred up a whole bunch of stuff for me. <laughs> well, I'm glad you shared it. And I'm, and Evelyn, you probably the same way. So many of the moms I work with had unplanned emergency C-sections. And like you said, there are beautiful C-sections out there yeah. and then there are really trauma and they're really traumatizing vaginal births. You know, we, we know that. It's about so, how the baby comes out. It's about how the mother is treated. It's the experience. It's the feeling, the loss of control, the lack of validation, the lack of people listening, things like that. And Evelyn and I are here to do that repair work and to, we can't change um, the factual of what happened, but changing how we perceive ourselves having gone through it from victim to survivor and one of mm -hmm. weakness and loss of control to um, strength and lessons learned and growth from it. Um, yeah. So I do encourage, you know, the talk was informative and um, because I do work with so many moms who have gone through that. So if you're listening to this and this is you, you're not alone in that. That's why I'm glad you shared your story, Caitlin. And that, um, I wish I wish that the person who has a C-section and had a terrible birth was alone. <laughs> so that means everybody else had a great birth. But yeah. unfortunately, I think there's more people that have trauma with their first birth, whether it's a vaginal birth or a C-section. I think there's right. so many people that trust their medical system and trust that the systems in place, that the baby shower celebration and the medical team and the postpartum care is enough. And the standard care that we have in this country is just not enough. Right. I think there's so much that, yeah, there's so much birth trauma that exists. Like, it's just, a, I don't know if I've ever spoken to a mom in my practice that 
that wouldn't describe her birth as traumatic in some way, you know, and, and the trauma is like what, what you perceive. And it's all of those things. Like if you feel supported, like regardless of what happens and people are working together to support mom, it, it you know, it, that is just such a big difference versus these sort of, and I always say emergency C-sections because, you know, a true emergency, it, I feel like is actually few and far between, you know, and, and I'm not a medical person. So, you know, but, but I have it over the years now and kind of talking to so many moms, it's like, you know, you just question like, was that really an emergency? Um, yeah. So it's also, I mean, I've had this thought, I, I've shared this with Laura, like I'm kind of working on coming up with a program around just dealing with birth trauma and having moms like be able to go through it because as, as one mom described to me, she's like, my birth happened to me. I wasn't like a member, a participant in it. And she doesn't want that to be her story. So she wants to be able to take ownership of it. And, and I want, I would want every mom to kind of feel like, you know, they were an active participant in their, in their birth and delivering their baby. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> Sounds like actually like doula support is mm-hmm. a precursor, right? Like that's, you're saying things that me and Kathy, I mean, I was your doula, so you know, like mm-hmm. these are the things that, that doulas do on the beforehand. We're trying to tell people, hey, this is, this is what you need and mm-hmm. this is why. And then the women who don't have that and end up with that end up in your office because yeah. you have to deal with it, whether it's beforehand or during or after. People ask me sometimes like, which is worse, the C-section or the vaginal birth. And I just say, you know what? And it's a little bit like this. There's pain and there's recovery and there's healing with all of them. You know, for a C-section, it's on, it's after the birth. And with a vaginal birth, it's mostly before. It's the labor. But they're both really hard and they're both valid ways to give birth. But you got to do the work. Mm-hmm. And there is, um, there was the first meeting this past week, last week, the positive birth um experience for long island is starting up so and whether you're pregnant or are postpartum or in the birth work world joining that to again you know talk about positive birth experiences and if you didn't have a positive birth the healing from that and if you want to have another child um maybe how how to best set up a situation where you would have that right that's great Well, thank you, ladies. I so appreciate our sessions and catch us next week for Socially Distant Thank you. Thanks.